I'm so thankful for what the Lord did for us. I know our flesh wishes that He promised some other things here in this life, but at the end of the day, if nothing good else ever happens in this world, we've got the hope of heaven. And one day soon, our Lord is coming back to take us home to be with Him, and that's enough. Because no matter what we go through in this life, it's all temporary. The bad and the good. But when we step out of this world into His world, it's eternal. And there will never be an end to the grace and the goodness of the Lord. And I'm thankful for what He did promise. And if you have your Bibles, you'd like to win me uh, just for one verse. I'd like to read to you again out of the book of Proverbs, chapter 20. Uh, while you're going there, you're going to make note that uh, there will be bookmarks for the Prowse family that are in the track rack back in foyer. Um, unfortunately, we're not able to have the Krauses in our district. He's around the deputation of his own, uh, but he was in route from Mississippi to Florida and stopped in a couple days ago, and so appreciate him doing that. So he just looked at the time of fellowship with us, and he gave us these, and it, it always surprises me when our missionaries come by, because I forget how long it's been. I think it's been 10 years since he was in my house last, since he was here for them to be going to make a presentation to the church. So uh, the, the pictures on the old bookmarks were quite outdated. Uh, so please pick up one of those, stick it in your Bible, stick it in the book that you're reading uh, so that you'll be able to pray for him. Uh, and God will just continue to do great things there in the country of Germany. Amen. The book of Proverbs, chapter 20, and one verse I'd like to read to you, verse 24. Man's goings are of the Lord. It's up to God where we go. It's up to God, of course, that our life is supposed to take. Man's goings are of the Lord. How can man then understand his own way? Uh, the answer is, is there in the question. We must look to God. We've got to look to God if we're ever going to know the way that we should take. So we continue on in the, the What's Next series tonight because we've got to look to the Lord to determine what to do next. Amen. Thank you for standing for the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Amen. So glad that you're in this house tonight. Glad that you came to worship the Lord and be together with us. Amen. The first step in knowing the will of God talked about this last week, is learning to hear his voice. And if you think about it, if you go back all the way to the creation narrative that's in Scripture, it's the first thing that, that all of creation heard, because they came into existence because God said, let there be light, let there be animals, let there be ground, come up out of the waters. And it was the voice of God that created everything. Now we know that he formed us from the dust of the earth and breathe the breath of life into us. But we also know that we have to learn to hear the voice of God. If we want to know the way we ought to take, we've got to find it out from Him because He's the only one that knows the way we ought to take. 
And, and the first step in knowing or in knowing the voice of God is to, or in hearing the voice of God, is, is to know Him, to know Him personally, to have a relationship with Him. You get to know somebody by being in a relationship with Him. There are people that you're acquainted with that, that you say, hey, how you doing? Whenever you see them at the grocery store, or whether you, you see them somewhere else, maybe even somebody you're not well acquainted with at work. But then there are those that you you know, sit down and have a meal with. There are those that you that you hang out with. There are those that you go to church, you go to school with, and you get to know them. You, you enter into a relationship with them, and you begin to understand the kind of person that they are. And, and although God is different in a lot of ways from us, because of course He is God, He is not different from us in the fact that He wants us to have a relationship. And the first step in building that relationship is in prayer. You must pray. You must seek the Lord. All throughout Scripture, all the way to the very beginning of Scripture, men called upon God. They, they, they would look into the heavens or bow down on their knees or whatever in mind, whatever posture they may have assumed. But they would call out that the God of heaven might hear the things that they would say. They would pray. They would seek to know God. So if we want to know the will of God, we must pray, and we must pray often. Twice, twice a week at church, it's going to do that. You've got to have a daily prayer life. And it's, it's a little strange, to be honest. You know, I remember growing up, and, and you know, there's a lot of things that, that unfortunately for us people take time to develop. And I look back on my younger days and, and regret the inconsistency of my prayer life. And you know, there were times that you prayed and you were fervent and diligent about it. Then there were times that you let life get the best of you and your flesh get the best of you and you didn't do it. But but somehow when you think back, of course you weren't really where you needed to be, but but you got through it and somehow you survived all those bumps in the road. But I've come to tell you the more time you serve God and the more time that, that, that you build that prayer into your life, the more quickly you'll realize that you cannot live without it. Both me and my family have learned the hard way. I need to pray to be around people. I need to pray to be around human beings. There's just something about getting in the presence of God that, that sets the attitude straight. It makes the thoughts right. It makes the, the feelings and the emotions. But they're not perfected yet, but it brings them into line with the will of God. And so the more you develop that prayer, the more you're going to want to pray. The more you're going to need to pray. Because you realize, you realize how desperately you want to be closer to God. I mean, if you think about it, those of you that are married, I mean, you know, you've been around each other for a long time. What the ones you got to talk about anymore? You know, we, we know everything about each other. We know our, our positives and our negatives, our strengths and our weaknesses. We know our favorite color and favorite food and favorite vacation spot. And we still talk to each other every day. Why is that? Because we're in a relationship. Because we want that connection with that person that we love. Well, well God's a jealous God. And God wants that interaction with you as well. And so, you'll begin to know what the voice of God sounds like by communicating with Him on a regular basis. Because, and this is an important principle that we learned last week, God will speak to you 
in a way that you can understand. He doesn't always do it in the same exact way to every people, every person. I've never had a burning bush that didn't get burned up. Everyone I've ever seen on fire is gone. I've never had that experience. I've never been on top of the mountain and the thunder and the fire and the lightning and the smoke come down and the voice of God speak to, to the, the closest two million people around me. I've not had that experience, but I have heard the voice of God. I have heard God speak to me because he will speak to you and he'll speak to me in a way that we can understand. But what is that? What is that way that you hear the voice of God? What is that way that you discern what it is that he is saying to you? This is what this, this series is all about. How do I discover? How do I discern the will of God for my life? How do I figure that out as a person? If you don't audibly hear the voice of God, if you didn't get up this morning and God said, wake up, Sister Elsie, and if you didn't hear it with your ears, then how do you know that that's God's voice speaking and not yours? I can only speak for myself, but I'll, I'll tell you a certainty that there's been plenty of times that, that I felt things, but I wasn't quite sure. If it was my thoughts and my feelings, or whether it was God speaking to me. And I don't want to mess that up. Because the way it seems right unto a man leads to death. I don't want to walk down that road. I want to walk down the path towards God. So if you don't hear an audible voice speak to you, then how do you know it's God? And also, even if you do hear an audible voice speak to you, how do you know it's God? Because the last time I read my Bible, the devil talks to Amen. Y'all have to talk to you before. Yes, he does. He's, he's got a voice too. You know, how did the Apostle Paul know when he got struck with blindness on the road to Damascus? How did he know that it was the voice of God and not the voice of something and somebody else? So hearing the voice of God and, and knowing the voice of God is the bedrock of who we are. Amen. As his people. It, the, the scripture says that my sheep know my voice and a stranger, somebody else, they will not follow. We must know the voice of God. So go with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's, let's go back to the bedrock of, where, of, of what we are, the, the foundations of our faith. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm going to read a few of these verses to you. Uh, there's a couple of them at, at a minimum of you all have memorized by now. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that you might do them in the land whither you go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, that thou may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers hath promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. And, and here's, here's the one you should know by now. Verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel. Hear it. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these, these words, which I command thee this day, shall be in thine heart, and 
Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, when thou liest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. So, this, this chapter, and I'm going to stop there instead of reading all the rest of it, even though I wanted to. You know, it, it, it opens up saying, here's what's important for you to do. If you want to be blessed, if you want the favor of God, if you want to end up where God wants you to end up, if you want to walk in the right way, the way that only God knows, then you've got to obey His commandments. You've got to, to, you've got to know His laws. You've got to do the things He said to do and, and not do the things that He said not to do. And so He's talking through this and all throughout the book of Deuteronomy, you'll, you'll find what all these, these laws are, all these commandments are. But here is the, the Scripture, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4, verse 6, or actually I got that backwards, it's chapter 6 and verse 4. It, it, it's called the Shema, it's called the Shema because that, that's the word that's there, that it simply means to, to hear. Hear this, Israel. I want this to get into your ears. And it, it takes on more life than just, again, hearing the sound waves bounce off your eardrums. The hearing also involves believing. It also involves obeying. It, it is all wrapped up in one. This is you need to hear what God says and do the things that God has commanded you to do. So, so what, is, what is this passage doing? It, it, it's telling us to hear the commandments of God, to hear them and to obey them if we, if we want to be blessed and have a right relationship with God. So you can make a link in these scriptures. What God says is what His Word is. The commandments, the statutes, the expectations of God are the things that God has spoken. They're the words that have come from the mouth of God. And at the top, the top of Mount Sinai, it was the things that God spoke to his people. It was the things that God spoke unto Moses that you and I now have written down in our Bibles. So the things that God says is what his word is. So here's another important principle in understanding the will of God for your life. The voice of God that you hear in whatever way God speaks to you never speaks anything in conflict with the written word of God. Ever. I don't care how many chill bumps you felt. I don't care whether you heard it with your ears or you heard it with your soul. I don't care how many angels you thought were in the room with you. If what you felt like God said to you doesn't measure up to what is written in His Word, it's not the voice of God. Amen. He cannot contradict Himself. He's not a man like you and I. I, I can contradict myself. I, I, I can assure you, if you have discussions with me today, I'm going to say some different things than what I said 25 years ago. Now, now hopefully I, I'm not getting the Word of God messed up a whole lot in there. I, I may have messed up something along the way. I'm quite certain that I've messed up along the way in my interpretation of Scripture. But I, I guarantee you, if you talk politics to me today, I won't talk differently than what I did 25 years ago. If you talk about whatever subject,
say, God, I'm going to talk a little bit differently than I did when I was younger and, and, and more foolish and, and, and less learned about whatever God's taught me in life. But God can't do that. He can't contradict himself. Once God speaks, he is all the power of the universe. It can't be undone. So from that point forward, God's never going to say something. He's never going to give you direction in your life that is contrary to the word of God. I don't care what you felt when you saw her walking down the street. It was just how pretty she was if she's not living right. Because it's not in the book. Yeah, I don't care how good an investment it might be if you're going to take your tithe and you're going to put it into the stock market instead because it's not in the book. And God didn't tell you to do it. God will never speak to you in a way that will conflict with his written word. Why is that? Well, John chapter 1, get all the way in the New Testament, still the foundation of our faith, mind you, but... But John chapter 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. We also know from from the later verse that it says, and that word became flesh. We know that what John is writing about is Jesus Christ. He is writing about our Savior, our Lord, and writing about the Messiah. And he is explaining the oneness of God. The same thing that we read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, that there's only one God. But that same God and His Word are equal terms. They're words that have the same definition. They mean the same thing. God is inseparable from His Word. He's inseparable from His Word. They are one and the same. So, besides you know, getting a pep talk and being one that's apostolic, you know, what is all the, the relevance of this? What does this have to do with, with discovering the will of God for your life? If you want to hear the voice of God, now, I think everybody here wants to hear his voice. If everybody wants to hear the voice of God, if you want to know what the will of God is for your life, what is the one source, the one roadmap that you always have? It's the Bible. It's the Scripture. It is the Holy Word of God written down in the language of that you and I can understand. So when the clouds don't form on the top of Mount Sinai, and a voice from heaven doesn't boom, and the bush is not on fire, not being consumed in front of you, and the waters are not parting, and, and the still small voice is not speaking to the prophet on the top of the mountain of God, when all of those miracle signs and wonders are not taking place, and you need to know the will of God for your life. When sometimes it may even seem like God is a billion miles away from where you're at. He is as close as the words written on the pages of this book. Amen. We have a divine roadmap that tells us the will and the mind and the purpose of God 
for us at all times. At all times. Now, how do you use the Bible to determine the will of God? I mean, after all, it's 66 books. It's not just one. There's a whole lot of stuff in here. There's a whole lot of things in Scripture. How do you use it? So, I want to ask this question. How, how, do many, how do many people look at Scripture? Not everybody looks at it in the same way. Some people look at the Bible simply as a rule book. They look at it as a catalog of, of rules and regulations, all the thou shalt and the thou shalt not, so to tell you all the simple things that your flesh really wants to do, that you really do want to have, but because it's in the book, you've got to stay away from it to avoid going to hell. That's how some people look at Scripture. That serving God is just about placating Him and giving Him enough of what He demands so that He doesn't throw us into hell for all eternity. And it's really a cry of shame that a lot of those folks in Mac's communities. A lot of those folks have lived for too long in their life looking at the Word of God like this. It's just the book that tells them how to appease God. I had someone look at me once, and they were making they were making a joke, but you know, there's sometimes that people make jokes and there's a lot of truth in what they're saying. They looked at me and said, you know, I want to know how to just get in there. I, I, I want to make heaven by the skill of my teeth. I want to know, you know, what can I do and still make heaven? Too many folks in this world that that's how they look at Scripture. What do I have to do to placate God and to keep His wrath at bay so that I'm not lost for eternity? So just do that, but I'm going to live the rest of my life the way that I want to. I'm just going to live the rest of my life according to, to my design. That's how some people look at Scripture, just, just a rule book, just a task list of things they have to do. And then there are those that look at Scripture as, as a storybook. You know, I know they don't think it's Aesop's fables, but, but they look at it as a storybook. It happens a lot because the Bible is filled with fantastic stories. I mean, don't ever tell me the Bible's boring because I've got some stuff that you ain't read. I mean, there's some stuff that, I mean, it's, it's provocative stuff. I mean, it, it's, it's full of action. There's all kinds of things that, that you wonder sometimes, God, did you really have to put that in there? I mean, it, it's already kind of a King James version. You know, there, there's some things in there that you know, we don't know what they mean, but they make them sound real pretty in old English. But there's some really bad stuff going on. So, I mean, there, there's miracles and signs and wonders. There, there's talking snakes and talking donkeys and, you know, there are floods and parted seas and battles being won without anybody lifting a sword. And there's a little shepherd boy that takes down a giant with just a rock. And there's a prophet that gets swallowed up and somehow lives three days in the belly of the fish and gets spit out. I mean, there's all kinds of amazing stories in Scripture. They're encouraging, they're uplifting, sometimes they're depressing and they're sobering. But there's all kinds of stories, all kinds of, of things in them. But is this all that is? Is that really all that Scripture is? Go with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 1. Now, 
the Old Testament where you get most of those stories from, most of the things that we kind of think about stories, because that's what you, you learn in Sunday school. You learn about Noah the Ark, and you learn about you know, Jacob's well, and you learn about you know the, the ladder of death and heaven and all that. It, that. But it was written in the times that the Hebrews were, were God's people. Well, us Gentiles, we didn't, we didn't know the way. And the book of Hebrews and the New Testament is written to just that kind of people. And so there's a lot of things in that book that are explaining what they really didn't get for generation upon generation from the Old Testament. So Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 says, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners in all different kinds of ways, spake, he spoke, in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And so he, they're saying that, that for all this time, in all these different ways, God spoke to us. He, he spoke to us through the prophets, he spoke to us through Moses, he spoke to us in all this different manner. And then in the last days, these New Testament days, he spoke to us by His Son, Jesus Christ, by Himself incarnate in flesh. He spoke to us by His Son. And, but then He says in verse 3, Who be, He's telling us who that Son is, who Jesus is, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Now, let's pull this stuff together. Who did John say that Jesus was? He said that he was God, and that God was the Word. That God and His Word and Jesus Christ, they're all terms for the same thing. They're all the one and self-same God. That's who Hebrews is talking about. That's who the writer here is explaining to us. And so then he adds something else. The writer adds something else about what Jesus is. He says that he is the express image of God's person. So we know that God and Jesus are the same thing. We know that His Word and God and Jesus are all the same thing. And now we read that Jesus is the express image of His person. What does that mean? What does that mean? The Greek word used there, and this is not really hard to you know, translate to you and I, it is character. It just has a K. But of course, that's where the English word character comes from. So the express image of God's person, and now, now the, the definition for the Greek word means the instrument for engraving or carving, or the mark stamped upon that instrument. So Jesus was, you know, God carved in the flesh. Engraved in the flesh. But it's where we get our word character. It's what makes up the essence of who we are. Jesus was the character or the personality, the full nature of God Himself in the flesh lived out in front of us as a man. That's what Jesus was. It's as if the question could have been asked before He ever came. I wonder if God 
what he would do and what he would not do as a man like you and I. And so, Jesus and the Word of God are the same. If they're one and the same thing, then the Word of God, the Holy Bible, the Holy Scriptures, fully reflect the character and personality of God Himself. That is what you've got to be left. Sitting on your lap is 66 books to explain exactly who God is and what He's like and what He's not like. It's no wonder we, we, we don't read, we don't say it very often. The last book of the Bible we is called Revelation, but the full description of that book is the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's what those 66 books are doing. All the way from creation until the very end of human time here on this earth. It is explaining to us who our God is. His word reflects the personality of God. What's the preacher's point? Let me ask you this question. Does anybody have to tell you how your mama is going to react when you do something stupid. But you know you're getting the woman before you ever fall. You're hoping to break the body around you out. You're hoping the teacher will have mercy and not call your mama because when your mama finds out, you know what's going to happen. Why? Because it's happened before. Because the last time you got the dope kid to your shirt, you got it. How many of you men know you're in trouble with your wife before your wife even finds out? Because you know she's going to find out because you're going to tell her. And then when you do tell her, you know exactly what you can see the face now. You know what's going to go down. Because you know her personality and she knows yours. You know exactly what they're like. You know what they do like and what they don't like. You know what makes them mad and you know what makes them happy. And we know the same thing about God through His Word. We know exactly. Oh, I wonder what God's going to think about what I've done. It's in the book. I wonder how God's going to feel about me. It's in the book. Why do you think that the devil talks to you so much? Because he wants to keep your face out of here. Because if you listen to him or you listen to your flesh, your way will get wrong. But if you'll get back to talking to God, you'll know the way to take. When you spend time in prayer talking with him and when you spend time in his word learning of him, you began to understand who he is. You know God. You know God. So why is this important? Because there's times that you pray, you ask God for answers. No voice from heaven has spoken to you. I'm thankful for the times that God made the abundant. And supernatural ways. I'm thankful for the times that, that I asked God questions and He answered, and I knew it was His voice. But I'm also standing before you to tell you there's been a lot of questions and a lot of things I've asked God. God never said a word. 
Jesus answered my question. But he's answered my questions. Because they're in word. You've asked God to give you direction, but you don't feel like you've heard it. So how do you know what to do? Comes from the word may sound elementary, and to a certain degree it is, but those things that are elementary are not always easy. But the Word of God tells us exactly what God thinks about everything. About everything. And even for those that could not understand it before Jesus came, He put it in perfected human terms. So that when we wonder, well, how, how does this God of the Old Testament, how would he respond if a woman was caught in the act of adultery and drugged before his presence? How would that holy God respond? We know how that holy God would respond. Because when it happened, he looked and said, you that's got the, you, you that his love has no sin, you cast the first stone. And then when the accusers are gone, and everybody's mind is wondering, what's God going to do now? He looks at her and says, go and sin no more. That's what my God thinks about us when we fall in our sin. Because we know it will work. Look at Romans chapter 7. We've got the Apostle Paul writing here. The Apostle Paul was an expert on the laws of God. You didn't want to go to a Bible quizzing match, you know, a Torah quizzing match with Paul. You were going to lose. You were going to get a beatdown. It's like you were playing the chorus. Y'all do that. I'm telling you, no Bible quizzing. So Romans chapter 7, this is who's writing here, the expert. Romans chapter 7, verse 5 says, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. That sounds unlifting. But now we are delivered from the law. Praise God. We're delivered from the law. That being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now, there are those, too many of those in this world today and too many generations even before us, that will take things like this. Now, at the same time that God, that Paul had to deal with Jews that, that could not let go of the law, not only could they not let go of it, but they couldn't deal with Gentiles that didn't obey it, so they would constantly try to subvert them and try to pull them back into that Old Testament law. As much as that's a problem, there's also this problem on the other end of the spectrum, which is, we've been delivered from the law. We now have the grace of God. We can do whatever we want. And then you get carried off into these whole things, and we're just following the leading of the Spirit. But we are. We all we want to follow the leading of the Spirit. I mean, I've read stories, or I've read a, you know, a book or two about things that happened in the early you know, Azusa Street revivals, and they're just amazing to read. I mean, I read about some of those services, and I'm thinking, God, I want that back. I want to come in and us not be able to get see a service because the Holy Ghost just leads the whole thing. We are to be led by the Spirit. He says we are delivered from the law. We are not living under the letter of the law any longer. But then he says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? 
except the law had said, Thou shalt not cut. So there are rules in Scripture. There are regulations in Scripture. There are expectations in Scripture, but it's not just a rule book. There are fantastical stories in Scripture, but it's not just a storybook. It's an illustration of how God deals with man and how man is supposed to react and respond to God. So for someone that, that is living in grace, and someone who's been delivered from the law, well, the, the, the first inclination might be, well, let's just throw that stuff off and not worry about that anymore. When the law explained in great detail how sinful we are. They never looked for a Savior if the law didn't tell them how sinful they were. He said, I have not known sin. You see, there was a big difference in the Gentiles and the Jews of that day. The Jews knew the intricacies of the laws of God and chose to disobey them. Us Gentiles were eager and pagans. That didn't make us saved. We were just as lost as anybody else. But we did not know and there were many Gentiles, even when the Lord was still walking around, that as soon as they heard the message, I want some of that. And that's better than what I've got. My God's never talked to me. My God's never performed a miracle for me. My God's never given me anything to eat when there was no food. My God's never told me that He loved me. I want to serve you. And so, the Word of God tells us how God looks at us. How God deals with us, what God expects from us, and how we are supposed to respond to God. We may be covered by the grace of God, but how do we know to go to the altar and ask God to forgive us for what we've done wrong? Unless the Word of God was what told us we did wrong. So, now let me bring this all together in a practical way. You're facing a situation in your life. You're making choices. You're making decisions. I'm not talking about, you know, talking about or McDonald's. You don't matter. Either way, you're going to heaven, and if you keep eating fast all the time, you won't get there. It don't really matter. It's what you think. That's not a spiritual decision. But for important things in life, how do you know? If you don't have this supernatural answer, you don't have the voice of God booming in your ear in the middle of the night telling you to get up and go take that job or marry that girl or, or move to that city, how do you answer the question? Ask yourself the following things. Number one, did someone in Scripture deal with this? There's a reason there's so much of this there's a reason there's so many people's stories that are chronicled in Scripture. There's, there's a reason why there are stories about great, wonderful things and blessings, and there's a reason why there's messes. When you're dealing with whatever you're dealing with, somebody stabbed you in the back, somebody stole from you, somebody took the job instead of you, or, or you don't know what to do, you don't know whether to take this job or that job, you don't know whether to live in this town or that town, ask yourself the question, did somebody in Scripture deal with this? Has it happened before? And if so, and I'll go ahead and kind of give it away, it's there. If so, how did they respond? When they were faced with that, how did they respond? 
Some man's going to work, and, and there's a woman who keeps coming on to him, and it's inappropriate, and it's wicked, and it's evil. She's pressing herself upon him day in and day out. Well, that happened to Joseph. How did Joseph deal with her? Then, did it turn out positively or did it turn out negatively? Because the Bible is filled with stories of men that, and women that did it the right way. Those who did it the wrong way. Even some of the greatest characters in Scripture, God made sure to preserve the stories of their families too. So if somebody in Scripture has encountered this, if there's a story, if there's a person, a man, woman, or a God that has dealt with this, how did they deal with it? How did it turn out? Was God pleased with them? Or was God disappointed with them? Were they receiving the blessings of God? Or were they receiving the cursings of God? Because, you know, I only want one of those two things. How did it turn out for them? And then lastly, number three, what is the application of the lesson that they learned? the application of the lesson that they learned. about the example about Joseph? What did Joseph do? He ran away. He got himself out of the situation. How did it turn out for him? Well, in the short term, it turned out bad. In the short term, he got falsely accused. He got tried, convicted, thrown into prison. And he thought for a long time he was left there to rot. But over the long term, God brought him out of prison. God elevated him to a high place of authority, and God used him to save his family. So Joseph chose what, what did he encounter? He encountered a temptation to do something that his God considered wicked. He chose to be faithful to his relationship with God and be unwilling to go down that sinful path. And what happened? In the short term, it was rough and rocky and bad, but in the long term, God knew exactly what he was doing and took care of him and watched over him. There's going to be times in your life you're in situations just like that. You're going to know what am I supposed to do? And then you're going to make a choice. I'm going to be faithful to God. I'm not going to give you my relationship with God. And it's going to look like the next day you did the dumbest thing you've ever done in your whole life. The whole world's going to look like it's falling apart. It's going to look like everything that could possibly go wrong is now go wrong, going wrong. And you're sitting down thinking, this can't be God. Oh, yes, it can be God. You might be sitting in that prison for a decade, but I'm telling you, on the other, the day one, after the decade's out, God's going to do greater things in your life than He ever would have been able to do had you given in to the temptation. It's there in the Word of God. Did somebody else already go down this path? And if they did, what did they do? How did it turn out for them? Did they please God or disappoint God? And what does the scripture teach us that we're supposed to do? How are we supposed to apply that? How, how do I know this works? How do I know this approach works? Well, one, to personal experience, but you need more than that because I'm a man and not a God. But Ecclesiastes chapter 1, Solomon is the, the, the believed writer of this book. He is you know, confessed by the word of God to be the wisest man on earth. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9 says, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is
is that which shall be done. And there is new, no new thing under Verse 10 says, Is there anything whereof it may be said, See, this is new. It hath already, it hath been already of old time, which was before us. I, I know it seems like our, our world is crazy and upside down, and it is. And I know the scripture tells us that men are going to wax worse and worse, and they are, because the word of God confesses it. And I know in our own lifetimes, it's probably the craziest state of affairs that any of us have ever witnessed. But I've come to tell you, folks, this stuff's been around since the Garden of Eden. Ain't nobody committing new sins. They're the same sins that have always been committed. Ain't nobody committing new apostasy. It's the same apostasy that's always been committed. Ain't nobody backsliding now that went backslide later. There's nothing new under the sun. That's why there's the old saying that says, history repeats itself. Because we're still the same people and He's still the same God. We just have to choose day in and day out. Am I going to take from His Word the things that I'm supposed to learn and apply to my life, or am I going to keep making the same foolish mistakes everybody else? There's nothing new. So if God never changes, and the world really never changes, that I know that if I can find something in this word that tells me when a man or a woman dealt with a situation that I'm dealing with, and it's going to be in here because there's nothing new, then I'll know exactly how I need to be. I'll know exactly the course that I need to take. Now, there simply isn't anything in life that you're going to encounter that there isn't scripture to direct you. I know it feels that way sometimes. I know, it, I know it feels that way. But it feels that way because you don't always know where it's at. But it is in it. You may not know what kind of character do I need to go study? You know, do I need to go read about Elijah or Jeremiah? Or do I need to go read about Peter or James? I mean, where am I supposed to get what I need for that direction? Which brings me to the final principle for tonight. Got to be committed to study the word Why does the average person, the average Christian, mind you, keep making so many of the same mistakes? Because the average Christian doesn't spend a lot of time They hear it from the preacher on Sunday. Maybe if they're a little more faithful, they'll hear it from the preacher on Wednesday. That might be all there is. And so when I'm facing some difficult circumstance, when I pray and I don't feel like I have an answer and I don't know where to go, how am I going to find what I need if it's so unfamiliar to me? Why is it that it takes what seems like half a lifetime to develop wisdom? Because you're not going to read it one time and always know what you are. You're not going to hear the book of, I mean, the story of Noah and the Ark just one time. 
And always remember that in the face of opposition, you need to be faithful to the promise. Not having water. All the rest of creation were created by God speaking one time, and they've been doing what God said for 6,000 years. But you and I, He said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We don't eat one time of the year, we don't eat twice in a week. We eat every day, multiple times a day. For our body to have the strength that it needs to keep on living. We've got to be in His Word every day, as often as we can be, to know the course of life. So I close with this. It gives me some time to stand. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. The Apostle Paul writing to this young man, this young pastor, this young leader, who really doesn't have all the answers. I know he spent some time with Paul, but Paul put him in some difficult circumstances and said, I'll be back. You just buy things while I'm gone. So, what did Paul tell him to do? When Timothy's all by himself and, and there's no cell phone to reach out and talk to Paul, it'd be months before he sees him again. And when he's praying and the heavens seem like grass and there's no answer coming, what is he supposed to do? 2 Timothy 2 and 15 says, study. I, I to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto the Lord of Godliness. We learn the voice of God in prayer, but I'm going to tell you, you're going to feel at times like the prayer is not getting answered. There's times you're going to pray and ask God to speak, and you're not going to hear His voice. You're not going to feel that stirring in your spirit, and you don't know what to do. But I've come to tell you, it's in the book. It's in His Word, but you're never going to know it if you don't get in there. You're never going to really know who God is and what He's like until you begin to pour over these pages. But you began to weep and cry and even rejoice over these pages because this is your God. This is how He thinks. This is how He feels. This is how much He loves you. This is where He put down all of His promises. In the pages of Scripture, we find every step that we need to take. If we'll just look, if we'll just seek if you'll just hear the word of God. Go to these altars if you want to come and pray. Come and seek the Lord. If you're not ready to meet God, don't go home that way. If you're told the Lord, don't go home that way. Come and get stirred up. If the Bible has become dry, it become boring to you. Come down to this altar and let him give you a new love for his word. If there are things that you just want to understand, you want to see, come and ask God.